Hey, and welcome to the Joy Church Podcast. If you'd like more information, check us out at www.joychurchnh.com or visit us in person at 55 Barnstead Road, Pittsfield, New Hampshire. We hope you enjoy and are blessed by this message. And now on to this week's sermon. I was sitting here while she was preaching, and I was like, man, you can hear a pin drop in here. It was like silent. And I was like, wow, I was sitting on the front and thought, did everybody leave or what's going on? It was like deathly silent. But today we're going to be rowdy again, okay? I need your help, so don't hesitate to, you know, chime in, help along the way as we talk about who am I. Um, Also, I'm sure I was out of town this week, so I didn't get to Life Group, but I'm sure there were some good discussions about forgiveness at Life Group too, right? Uh, what a great place to be together, and if you're not part of a life group, you should be. It's a great place to be accepted and to be loved and to be your place where you can feel comfortable, loved, and accepted, and because, uh, you know, believe me, I've been in a lot of groups, and sometimes even at different churches, not this one, where I didn't necessarily feel very accepted because of this or that or the other. Uh, so it's great uh, to come to a life group and know that no matter what you did, no matter where you've been, you are accepted here. Amen. Because I think that's one of our greatest needs and desires is to be accepted. Everybody wants to be accepted, right? I mean, even as babies, I think we look for that. As young children, you see um, you know, kids in school, they, they just want to be accepted. They want somebody to accept them, to recognize them. And to, uh, you know, just kind of be a friend to them. Did you ever see, uh, there's a movie, but uh, Clint Eastwood is in it. It's a great movie. Um, don't let your little kids listen to it because there's some language. There's a lot of language. It's called Gran Torino. Did you ever see that? It's about a retired auto worker uh, living in Detroit area. And uh, he had lived in the same neighborhood for like 40 years. He was an older man, lived by himself. His wife passed away. And over the years, the neighborhood changed, right, as neighborhoods do sometimes. You know, it became more diverse. uh, uh, Eastwood's next-door neighbor, um, an Asian family moved in there, and, you know, uh, Clint wasn't all that accepting of the neighbor and didn't like him so much. But as the story goes on and through, you know, lots of different circumstances, Eastwood does take time and take the neighbor kid under his wing. So he takes one of these kids who uh, he had kind of not accepted for a long time under his wing and kind of accepts him and shows him how to become a man. I've, I've, when we watched it the first time, I commented to Kathy about, you know, really like, wow, if the church could only disciple kids, like Clint Eastwood discipled this kid, but it wasn't really discipling, it wasn't too spiritual. But he sure did pour into him. And he did show him how to, to be a man. Man, if we could do that, that would be so awesome. So you could see the, the kid change slowly, you know, under Eastwood's uh, mentorship. He, he, he had uh, begrudgingly, he accepted him. And, uh, and you could see the kid's confidence level rise. And man, what a difference a little confidence can make. It's incredible. Uh, a little story, I was uh, at my grandson's baseball game. Friday night, and um, he, he had not done so well in practice before the game and whatnot, and he had this opportunity to make this play. He played third base, and 
he had this opportunity to make this play, and he made it. And you could see in his eyes the confidence. And it's amazing what a little confidence will do in anybody's life. Sometimes it's like a visible change in somebody's face or their uh, stature or how, you know, how they look, how they present themselves, feeling accepted. And, and that's, that, that feeling of acceptance can change a life. It really can. It can change a life. And see, here, here's the thing. Eastwood didn't have to take this kid under his wing, right? He didn't have to do it. He didn't even want to do it at first. He didn't have to accept him. Matter of fact, it would have been easier on him if he didn't. His life would have been fine if he didn't. He didn't need that in his life. He was an older man. But he chose to accept this kid. And everything changed. Everything changed. And I've always said, and, and I firmly believe it, that the church needs to be more accepting of people just as they are. The church needs to be more accepting of people just as they are. Those who are different from us, those who maybe look different, speak different, worship differently, we need to be more accepting, especially uh, I really have a burden for accepting teens and younger uh, folks, younger teens, even uh, tweens or whatever they call the, the just before teenager. Millennials, Generation Y, they're looking for acceptance just like we are, just like we did. Think back to when you were young and you were looking for that acceptance. That's what they are looking for too. They, they can be intimidating sometimes to a generation like mine. Sometimes you, you, you're around some younger kids, some 20-somethings, and man, they can be intimidating because they, they present themselves like they know everything there is to know, right? Well, I can tell you that so many of them have grown up through hard times. They've grown up with broken homes, and so as intimidating as they might seem, they too have this craving to be accepted. They have this craving to be accepted and loved and mentored by people from my generation, by people who are not 20-something, by people who have a little life experience. So this is a little side, another commercial, we'll call it. Pour yourself into somebody's life. Find somebody who, who needs a little bit of mentorship and pour yourself into them. Give them that mentorship. Accept them. Believe me, if you, if we, if I, if the church won't accept these younger folks just as they are, the drug dealer will, the gangbangers will, the trafficker will. That's another sermon for another day. But we've got to make this a place of acceptance. We've got to make this place a place of acceptance just as you are. Just as you are. No matter what you did, no matter where you've been, somebody is glad you're here at church today. Let that sink in. Wherever you've been, we're glad that you're here. And I've been places where, like I said, where I haven't felt very accepted. And uh, I, I know that that's a miserable place to be. It's a miserable place to be, to be lonely and afraid and outcast and feel like you're not accepted. I'm going to assume that probably everybody here has been in that spot at one time or another, right? We've all been in a place where we haven't felt accepted, where, uh, you know, we, we just want to wish it could happen. We wish we could feel accepted. I can remember sitting, you know, at the lunch table with people that I would want to accept me and they didn't. And so you have to find somebody else to sit at lunch with. It, it all comes back to us in our memories, right? 
those times that we struggled because we didn't feel accepted. We all want that. We have that desire in our heart to be accepted. So today we're going to continue with this Who Am I series. Kathy called it a mini-series. I'm not sure what's the difference, but it's a series. Oh, she said John, the book of John's a whole series. But anyway, we're going to continue with that. And today, who am I? I'm accepted. I'm accepted. So last week, I'm, I'm kind of uh, giving Kathy a hard time today. That's okay. I don't mind. But she used my, she used my scripture last week. The one that I had planned to use when we had planned ahead to, to do these messages. And um, she used, remember, she used that video, the very powerful video that she showed about the woman at the, uh, that, who had been caught in adultery and uh, about being released from that and, and set free from that. It was a great story, so I forgive you for using my scripture. <laughs> but I'm going to kind of recap again a little bit of it. So I'm going to read John 8, the first, uh, I don't know, 10 or 11 verses out of the message and uh, talk about it for just a couple of minutes. Then we'll get into the sermon. Kind of a warning. It's going to be a while. Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such a person. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. Wouldn't you love to know what he was writing? That would be awesome. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you? Go first, throw this stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away, one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her, Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. And from now on, don't sin. Wow, what a powerful story. This, this woman's sin uh, was, was so great and so, uh, so you know, easily judged, I guess, for, uh, for the Pharisees and for the, the teachers of the law and the scholars. It was easy to judge this woman's sin because she was caught in the act. Now, this, this woman's sin might seem very different from ours, from yours, from mine, but it could, uh, her sin could have well been birthed the same way, the, from the same place is our favorite sin. We all have a favorite sin. And this woman's sin might have been birthed from that same place. She had a longing to be loved and accepted. She had a longing to be loved and accepted. She made a bad choice on who and how, but her longing, just like all of us, was to be accepted by someone. And just remember, folks, if, we, if the church won't accept people where they're at, won't give them a drink of water so that, that, that they are so thirsty for, the living water of the Lord. If we don't do that, somebody will. Somebody will. This woman didn't feel very accepted by those Pharisees and by those scholars and, and by the ones who were bringing her up 
for accusation. She didn't feel very accepted by them. And my hunch is that, that she probably hadn't, that didn't start right there, that it had probably started much earlier in her life where she didn't feel very accepted by those folks. Maybe they didn't like the way she dressed. Maybe her crop top was just a little too cropped. Maybe her Daisy Dukes rode a little too high. Or maybe she wore too much makeup or she had tattoos or or maybe she liked wine just a little bit too much. As a church, we need to always remember that we need to introduce people to Jesus who can change their heart before we ever expect them to change their clothes. Let me say that again. We need to introduce people to Jesus who can change their heart before we ever worry about them changing their clothes. Why do we, it, it amazes me that as Christians, sometimes we, we want to judge people and we want to speak poorly about people and speak badly about people who don't know Jesus because, believe it or not, they act like they don't know Jesus. My goodness, what do we expect? We don't even act like Jesus most of the time. Think about it. Why should we get so offended when somebody who doesn't know Jesus acts like they don't know Jesus? Why don't we just accept them and love them? Introduce them to Jesus. He can change their heart. This woman craved acceptance and found it far outside of a church. Far outside of a church who wouldn't accept her. And she found herself lying at the feet of Jesus in the street, right? Probably naked. She had been caught in the act. They probably dragged her up there, no clothes on or minimal clothes on. Can you imagine her shame? Can you imagine the guilt? Not to mention, they, nobody mentioned that they brought the guy along with them. They just brought the lady. This total lack of dignity that, they, that she must have felt at the hands of her accusers. So Jesus says, okay. The law says that she should be stoned, so... Which one of you hasn't sinned? You can throw the first one. If you haven't sinned, go ahead, pick up the stone and throw it at her. And all of a sudden, what happened? They started kind of creeping away, right? They all walked away. And what a wonderful time for Jesus, right? Here he has this woman, and the, the people have gone. The crowd has dissipated. The accusers have left. He could have used this time to really light into this lady, right? He could have used this time to say, what in the world are you doing? Don't you know how dirty and nasty that is, what you're doing? I can't believe that. Go clean yourself up and come back and you can talk to me then. That's what Jesus could have done. But what did he do? I don't condemn you. Stop it. Don't sin anymore. Jesus accepts us right where we are. He accepts us right where we are. So, I want to take you to another little story here. Uh, it's not in the book of John. It's in the book of Luke. It's a story you're probably familiar with. Uh, Luke 15, if you have it, your Bibles. If not, write down the scripture reference. You can read it later. It's the story of the lost son, the story of the prodigal son. Many of you know it, have heard of it, and are familiar with it. The story of two sons is what some people call it. So, it starts out in verse 11 of Luke 15. Then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. 
So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. So can you imagine this son, this father had two sons. It seems that one of them was religious and one of them was rebellious. I wonder if we took a poll here, how many would say they're on the religious side? Oh, come on. How many would say I'm on the rebellious side? Yeah, I'm there. Right? Yeah. We're honest here at Joy Church. We know that uh, we're not the most religious, most proper people there are, that we do have a little rebellion in us, right? I mean, you can always tell the religious folks because you say, oh, it's, it's nice and sunny outside today. And they'll say, oh, yes, every time I see the sun, it makes me want to worship the Father. <laughs> right? And for me, it's more like, oh, every time I see the sun, I want to go get warm. I want to stand in a sunny spot and get warm. Maybe get a suntan, right? So there was the real son. The thing is, the religious. So this son, he wanted his share of the inheritance. And we might say, oh, well, you know, these young people, they have this entitlement thing going on. They all feel so entitled, right? Well, that's not a new thing. Apparently it was going on. But pay attention when you're out in a public place at a restaurant or somewhere where, where people are being served. Pay attention and you'll see that that entitlement thing is not just young folks. So let's give them a break. Let's accept them. Son comes and says, I want what's mine. I want my share of the inheritance. And, and in our culture today, you know, we hear that and we think, yeah, that's kind of entitled. But we don't really understand what it meant in the day that Jesus was telling this story. We don't understand. Because inheritance were, the inheritances were for after the father died. After the father died, you get your inheritance. That's the way it worked. That was the cultural norm. Anything different from that would be frowned on. It would, be, it would raise eyebrows. But here this kid saying, I want that. Basically saying, Father, you're dead to me. Give me what, you, what I've got coming. And but the father did it, right? It says the father. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There undisciplined and dissipated. Can you imagine a kid being undisciplined and dissipated? He wasted everything he had. Now, for those of you, maybe you, you, know, you read the Bible and you say, I really, I just can't understand the Bible. I can't connect with anything that's in the Bible. You could probably connect with that one, right? He wasted everything he had. We've been there, right? So after he'd gone, he'd gone through all his money. There was a bad famine all through that country and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would give him any. So here's this kid, right? And the father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. And, and this kid went and he wasted all of his money on wild living. That's a story that we would never hear in today's world. Have you ever had a time in your life where you wish that somebody had stopped you before you made a bad decision? Yeah, say, that's a dumb decision. Don't do that. Maybe some of you drove that dumb decision to church today. (laughs) 
maybe some of you are sitting beside the sun. No, 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 no. No. Don't point. Don't point. One time, uh, <laughs> one time I wish somebody had told me I was making a bad decision. Jake and I, when he was younger, we would go and we'd get chicken wings. And he got to where he loved the really hot chicken wings, like the highest on the scale. And, you know, being dad, I tried to be tough and all that, too. And so I said, sure, I'll try some of those. And, man, I put the chicken in my mouth, and I could feel, like, sweat pop out of my head. <laughs> Within, like, a tenth of a second, it was like, Poof. sweat was dripping off me. I've tried it a few times after, and it still happens. So I've given up on spicy foods. So this father, he, he gave this inheritance, and the son took it, and disrespected his father, and he squandered the money on wild living. Ah, and another great place for Jesus. If he, he could show up in the story here, right? Wouldn't this be a great place for him? Tell the son, you, you, you can't leave your father's presence unless you leave his protection. You can't leave the father's presence and expect his protection. The father's not going to protect you when you're in a far country living as you choose. You get one or the other. And so this son, he learned that the hard way. But wouldn't it have been nice if, if, or, or wouldn't it have been an opportunity for Jesus to, to step in and say, you can do that, but I wouldn't because I can show you a slideshow of what's going to happen in the future in your life. And it's not a very pretty slideshow. Jesus could have stepped in and done that. Why didn't he? I don't know. I think maybe because Jesus in his humanity and being all God and all human, all man, sometimes he knows that when we decide to walk away from God, we can't hear anything but our own rebellion trying to lead us away. Sometimes when we, we try to walk away from God, we can't hear anything but our own desire to be rebellious, right? We've been there. Come on, don't be silent. You've been there. I've been there. Doesn't matter who warns us. Doesn't matter who's praying for us. We want to do what we want to do. That's right. So the son's money, he did what he wanted to do, and his money ran out. And it, What a horrible time for your money to run out, right as a famine's getting started in the land, right? He, never, he, he had never starved when he lived with his father. He had never starved when, when he was living at home. And his sin, it was funny for, fun for a while. Sin can be fun for a while, right? If you do it right, it can be fun for a little while. But it's got a big price with it. It's got a big price with it. I heard him say, if, if sin is not fun, you're not doing it right. It wasn't me that said that. But I've heard it said. Now, so this, this kid, he used all of his money. A famine hit. And we, we, and we empty the shelves, but we don't know. We don't have a clue what true famine and true starvation is. But this guy, it was real. There was no food. It wasn't that he, he uh, missed his chance to get to the burn. Eggs, right? Who wants that job? Well, if you were Jewish, especially you don't want that job. Jews don't like pigs. They consider them the most unclean animals there is. And so this, this kid, he, he was so devastated. He was so down. He was such, such a low point. He said, okay, I'll take it. I'll work with the pigs. Jews don't eat pork. I've been to Jerusalem. I didn't have bacon for breakfast. 
There's no barbecue joints. Even in southern Jerusalem or southern Israel, there's no barbecue joints. So here he is. He's feeding pigs, doing something that is despised by his own people. And, and he's looking at the slop that he throws out there, and there's a corn cob or a pod or something, and he thinks, hmm, that looks pretty good. Can you imagine the point in your life where you look at the pig slop and you say, oh, that looks pretty good. I can't, and I'm not sure that anybody here can. That's a pretty low place in life, right? And the thing about it, the kid, he had big plans with that money, right? He had big plans, and, and this certainly wasn't it. He didn't plan to, he didn't say, Dad, give me your inheritance so I can go slop pigs. This wasn't part of the plan for his life. And how many of us, we, we, we step into a life of our own. We step into doing what we want to do. We step into taking what we consider to be ours, and we head down this path, and it's not the path that we thought it was going to be. It's not the, the ending that we thought we would see. Can you relate? Are you with me on that? <clears throat> if you're here and, and at some point in your life you blew up your life completely, you didn't plan on it, it's a gradual thing, I've got some expertise in this if you want to talk. I can compare notes with you. I know it happens. It would have been another great time for Jesus to show up in the story and give this guy a warning, right? He warn him about what's going to happen, to warn him about what happens when you leave the Father's protection. Warn him about the fun he can have in sin, but the price he'll have to pay later, right? To give him this warning about what's to come. Now, in our society today, we do a great job of warnings, right? Do you ever read warning labels on things? Some of them are crazy, right? You know what I'm talking about. There's that one that, you know, it talks about, um, what does it say? It's on a microwave. It says, don't put your pet in here to dry him after you give him a bath. <laughs> you know why that that warning's on the microwave? Somebody did it. Exactly. Somebody, sometime in the past, oh, my, my dog's wet. I'm in a bit of a hurry microwave and it didn't go well right uh, we got some other examples for you take a look what do we got here avoid putting pouring on crotch area on a cup of hot coffee some guy bought some coffee I don't think this is as hot as I'd like for it to be I'm going to test it. I'm going to pour it on my crotch and see how that feels. Some guy. Or how about this one? Remove child before washing on a clothes label. Somebody was really in a hurry that time, right? Man, that shirt's dirty. Can I throw you in? Sometime in the past, somebody... Thought they would do it. Save a little time. Here's another one. What does it say? No swimming if you can't swim. Hey, you can't really argue with that. I mean, it's a great, great one. And here's, here's my favorite. Here's my favorite. Do not swallow the coat hanger. 
And if you can't understand the words, if you can't understand the words, the picture is a great help. It gives a new meaning to the word hangry. That's a good dad joke, right? Somebody was hungry and swallowed a coat hanger, I guess. Warnings. His son needed a warning. He needed a warning label like that that maybe was even a little more practical. Sin will take you to places that you never thought you'd go and get you to do things that you never thought you'd do. This son never opened the pigs. This son never thought he'd be starving and wanting to eat some of their food. Sin will take you places you never thought you'd go. Believe me, I know this is Joy Church. I know that it has. I know your stories. That's what sin does. That's how Satan works. It's his nature to lead us into sin that takes us places we thought we'd never go. That's who Satan is. That's who we thought we would be. And this every single time, sin does this every time. It will kill our joy. It will kill our hope. It will kill our peace. For some, it'll even kill our belief that Jesus loves us or cares about us enough to take us back. Because if Jesus loves or cares about me, how could he let this happen to me? How could he let me get into a place like this if he really loves me? And that's where I believe we have to take a little bit of personal responsibility. He does love us enough to keep us from that. That's why he gives us his word. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. So in verse 17, that brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. Finally, he came to his senses. He was brought to his senses because of the, the circumstances he was around. And there's a truth in the fact that sometimes people just have to come to their senses on their own. They have to do what we call hit rock bottom on their own. Sometimes people come and, and they want uh, you to, us to talk to a son or a husband or a daughter and uh, to try to talk some sense into them, to try to give them some of this warning, but sometimes it just takes the place where you hit rock bottom. And look, too, at the primary motivation that this son had for going home. All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day. His motivation wasn't, oh, I want to restore my relationship with my good father. His motivation was, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. So God will accept us even when we have the wrong motivation. Even when we have the wrong motive, he'll accept us. God can use anything. He used this son's hunger in this story. He can use anything. Nobody's beyond what God can do. Even if we have a misguided motive, God can use that. So this son, he, he, this is a powerful part of the story. He goes home to the father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. 
He didn't list every sin that he had committed along the way. He didn't tell his whole story about all the sordid details that he had done, all the sordid things that he had done. He came to the Father in repentance and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please just take me on as a hired servant. He came humbly and he came in repentance. He came hungry and he came for repentance. See, we're more far from God, and, and we've been doing it our way for such a long time. It's easy for us to think that God won't accept us back. It's easy for us to think, I've done too much. I might as well stay here because there's no way I can work off all this sin. Let me tell you, you're right. There is no way that you can work off all that sin. There is a way, though, that he'll accept you, and he'll take you back, and just like this father in the story, and he'll say, yes. Come back, son. Come back to my protection. Come back and live under my guidance. You might say, there's no way that he'll accept me for what I've done. It can never be the same. It can never be the same. I've gone too far away. I've done too many bad things. I've, I've messed up too much. Well, maybe you're partially right. Maybe it will never be the same. Because it's going to be better. Because it's going to be better. You see, second chance doesn't mean second class. Second chance doesn't mean second best. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. I'm so happy that in this story, the father was watching for the son to come back. It makes me so happy to, to hear that this father was out looking for his son to come back. Many of you dads know what that looks like. You've been there. You know the son is wondering. And you just watch for them to come back. So this father was, was looking for the son. It's a picture of God waiting for us to come back under his protection. And it's not in, in a way that so many of us were taught when we were kids that, oh, God's watching you. God's looking at you. He's going to do something to you because you mess up. No, it's not that at all. This father was watching for his son to come back to restore a relationship. The father saw him coming. He was, and was he filled with anger and rage? And what, what did you do with all the money I gave you? What, you crazy word? No, he didn't do that. Scripture says the father saw him with compassion. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your, your son who had been so disrespectful, your son who had walked away, your son who had wasted his money and his life to watch and to be filled with compassion as soon as you see the sun come back over the horizon. He ran to his son, the story tells us. He ran to his son and embraced him. What a picture of God's love. What a picture of God's acceptance. He ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. Now, even at this part of the, the, the story, the, the listeners that Jesus was speaking to might have got a little bit squeamish. The father embraced the son, but even though this son was coming home covered in pig stuff, the father embraced him. Father embraced him. Now, I, I felt like I've wanted to write a book a few times throughout my life. But one book that I'll never write 
is a parenting book. We, we've had six. The youngest is 21 today. We've made it. No, we're not going to do this. But I'm not going to write a, a parenting book. Kids are great. They're awesome. They're not a burden. But, you know, there is, there is one piece of parenting advice that I would give. And I know we have some brand new parents here. And just take this for what it's worth. One day, there's going to be the big blowout. It's going to be the big blowout, right? You'll be holding the baby, and the baby will be smiling and cooing. And, oh, the baby looks so happy, right? Looking happy. Oh, the baby's so happy. And they are. They're happy that what's inside them is coming out <laughs> fast, right? All at once. All at once in the diaper. Up the back, down the legs, in the little creases in the legs. Yes. And as parents, what do we do? We, Ooh, you've got to be kidding me with that. What in the world? You're just like your mother. Go clean yourself up, and when you're clean, you can be presentable, and you can come back. But until then, you are no longer my child. Is that what we do? No. Why in the world would we expect our Father God to do that to us when we have the big blowout? Why would we expect that of our good and perfect Father when we as flawed and imperfect fathers and mothers, we don't think, we would never even think about doing that. God doesn't say go and clean up and come home. He says, come home and I'll help you clean up. I'll accept you just as you are. So this father embraced him. And this is such an important piece of the story that he embraced him and that he kissed him. Why is this so important? It's because sometimes the, the people that Jesus was telling this story to, the religious people, the, the, the ones who wanted to follow the letter of the law, they can be mean. Did you know that? Sometimes the religious folks can be the most mean folks that we'll encounter. The people who want to follow the letter of the law can even kill people. If you read uh, the Jewish law, what does it say? Way back in the book of Deuteronomy, what does it say to do by the letter of the law? What should have happened to this younger son? What should the father have done? Instead of giving him the money he was asking for, what should the father have done? Well, let's read in Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. When a man has a stubborn son, are there any other kinds? When a man has a stubborn son, a real rebel who won't do, any th do a thing his mother and father tell him, and even though they discipline him, he still won't obey, his father and mother shall forcibly bring him before the leaders at the city gate and say to the city fathers, this son of ours is a stubborn rebel. He won't listen to a thing we say. He's a glutton and a drunk. This guy in this story of the prodigal son could have said exactly that, right? Could have used those exact words. Continuing on in Deuteronomy, then all the men of the town are to throw rocks at him until he's dead. You will have purged the evil pollution from among you. Dead to rise. This son had done it. Right? 
by law, he could have been, he could have been killed. You see, in, in our story here, in this story, he would have done it. He would have taken Rahab. He probably would have thrown the first stone. You see, Jesus fulfilled the law so that we can be. Jesus didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law so that we could be accepted. He's repentant. Let's go get a couple of Subway sandwiches because we want to see if he's really repentant. You know, maybe if he's still here and repentant in a year, we'll do some big party. But for now, let's go to Subway and get a couple of subs. Is that what he did? No. So, so many times I feel like that uh, maybe that might be what we do. Maybe we want to see and have proof that somebody's really changed their behavior that they've changed the things that they do because we're just not quite sure. So let's don't have a big celebration about it. Let's don't make a big deal about it, right? Well, here's the thing. The father, he wasn't celebrating the behavior. He was celebrating the fact that the relationship had been restored. He wasn't celebrating the behavior. It was the fact that, that my son has come back and we have a relationship now. I'm so grateful for the fact that Jesus did not down a cross so we could establish a behavior modification program. He didn't come and, and die on the cross so that we could be a behavior modification place. He came and died on the cross so that broken and busted people like you and like me, we can walk into the presence of God and who immediately accepts us and welcomes us home. Somebody needs to say amen to that. I've been there. This boy, in, in his time of sin and rebellion, he had lost a lot, but he still had a lot left. He still had a lot left, and the Father can see that. Maybe you've lost a lot. Maybe you walked away, and, and you've lost a lot, but God is saying to you that you have a lot left. There's a lot more in you. He says, I accept you right where you are, and I'll forgive you accept you, take you to victory, make you an overcomer because you are redeemed and I accept you right where you are. And a God who says, let's get started into this life of abundance that I've already promised you. Let's get started on this life of favor that I've already promised you. Not after you clean up. Now. Today. Let's get started. Jesus accepts us right where we are. Who are you? You're accepted by the king of kings, by the creator of the universe, the one who created you in his own image, in his own likeness. You are accepted by God Almighty. We all have this longing to be accepted, to be loved, to be forgiven. And that's who Jesus is. We saw it in those two stories that we talked about today. The woman caught in the act of adultery. The, the story of the two sons. If Jesus can accept a woman caught in the act of adultery and dragged naked into the street at his feet, if he can accept her, if he can accept a son who went out and wasted all of his inheritance and disrespected his parents, if he can accept that son who had wandered and squandered, if he can accept someone like me, he can accept you. He can accept you. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to let him accept you today, to, to be humble, 
and to repent, just like this son in the story, and to hear the Father's voice speaking to you, welcome home. Welcome home to my protection. Welcome home as I watch over you. Welcome home for eternity. So if you bow your heads and we can all pray together. Lord Jesus, I repent. I've sinned against you. And I'm ready to come home. Lord, I don't deserve it. But I know you offer it. Accept me. Accept me. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is in the business of giving new life. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, you have new life. Scripture tells us that when we're in Christ Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. It does, it's not a matter of go clean up and then the new can come. It's a matter of the old is gone and the new is come. Now, as you remember, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago on Easter when I spoke, I closed when I talked about this vision that our leaders have of Pastor Kathy has of uh, God moving here in our midst, right? God is moving. We see things happening. We know in the spirit that God is working in people's hearts all through this town. We see this every week and every day. And believe me, acceptance is a big part of our receiving what God is doing here. Acceptance is a big part of receiving what he's doing here. Church, my question for you today, are you ready? Are you ready to accept those who come? Are you ready to accept those who are far from God? Accept those who past isn't like ours? Accept those who do? Are you ready to accept those? Accept young folks who listen to music that we just don't understand? Are we ready to accept that? Are we ready to accept those young people who, whose crop tops are just a little too cropped? Older people like me, God is working. And there's a, a generation out there who is literally desperate and dying to be accepted. Ask the drug dealer if they're willing to, to risk their life to be accepted. If you don't believe me, ask the drug dealers. Ask the gangbangers. Ask the traffickers. Are these, are these young people out there wanting to be accepted? Yes, they are. Then the church needs to accept them. And we're not going to accept them by just waiting for them to come. We accept them by asking them and bringing them with us to church. To hear the good news. To hear that they are accepted. To hear stories that, like, like this woman caught in adultery. To hear stories like the two sons. To know that no matter what you did, where you've been, we're glad you're here. God is glad you're here. Acceptance, guys. Be ready. Let's be ready. <coughs> Everyone wants to be accepted. Jesus was criticized a lot for who he accepted, though. Right? He was accused of being a friend of sinners, a drunkard partier. Jesus, he, had the, he heard those accusations. We'll be criticized too. You'll be criticized too for accepting some of the folks that, man, that's just too far. That's just too much for me to accept. So many who are in religious circles just wouldn't accept. But oh, those folks at Joy Church, they'll just take anybody. Well, praise God. If that's what people are saying about us, 
Praise God. One of our values is everyone matters. And that everyone means everyone. That means we accept folks. Your life is a mess? Come on, join us. We got a lot of messy lives here. You'll fit right in. Your life's falling apart? Come on, we'll accept the pieces and we'll help you put them back together. That's who we are. That's who you are, church. Because Jesus lives in us. That's who we are. That makes it a little bit easier to accept others. Accept others who have, maybe they're at where we were a year ago or two years ago or 20 years ago. Accept them and love them, care about them. We know who you are. We know what you did. We know what you were. But we also see what God can make you and what you can become. That's who we are, George Church. Lord Jesus, we ask that you uh, go with us as we dismiss, Lord. That we, uh, Lord, break our hearts for those who are unaccepted. Lord, give us a burden for those who need acceptance. For those who are walking and looking for somebody to notice me and accept me and love me, Lord. Give us that burden for those folks. And Lord, they may not look like us. They may not talk like us. They may not sing like us. They may say words that we don't think are appropriate. But God, give us a burden to accept them and to love them and to just tell them about Jesus. You can change their heart way before we can change their clothes. Give us that burden, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate your time. We love you. There's nothing you can do about it. And I can guarantee you the best is yet to come. We hope you enjoyed this message and were blessed by what you learned. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts or to get more information about our church, head to our website at www joychurchnh.com. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing with you next Sunday sermon. Until then, we love you and there's nothing you can do about it.